0: Submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society. We call this podcast.
1: You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone.
0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Are You a Fan of the Dark? Yeah, it's been a really long time, but uh, I figured I ought to come back for a Christmas special, and I brought somebody new this time! Say hi, Ken. Hello. (laughs) So this is my stepdad, Ken, and he's joining me on this special Christmas episode because Are You Afraid of the Dark doesn't have any Christmas episodes, really, but before Are You Afraid of the Dark, there was another wonderful show. And it's one that Ken introduced me to at a really young age. It's called The Twilight Zone. <laughs> <laughs> the particular episode that we're going to be doing is called Night of the Meek. And I don't honestly remember the first time I saw this episode. Do you? I don't really remember
2: when I showed it to you. It was
0: You were probably
2: about maybe, I don't know, eight? Yeah. Eight or nine years old, I think.
0: Yeah. Because yeah, when-, when we started watching Twilight Zone... Um, There was this video rental place in Tucson called the Pink Motel. Remember that place? Awesome place. Yeah, we used to go there and get Italian sodas and rent the Twilight Zone VHSs because that was before DVDs. (laughs) (laughs) True. (laughs) They would actually play them in the store sometimes, wouldn't they?
2: They would. They had these little televisions up and they would play them in there. Um, But it was a lot of fun just to hang around in
0: there. Yeah. It was, it was a wonderful, kitschy little place. So I have a lot of fond uh, memories of The Twilight Zone and just a lot of fondness for the series in general.
2: Yay. We raised her right.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you remember the first time you saw this episode?
2: You know, I don't. That's the thing. I don't think I saw it until I showed it to you because I didn't know they had a Christmas episode. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And because at the early years... Of Twilight Zone, I didn't really see a whole lot of those when I was a little kid. I saw mainly when they were in their height of their popularity, you know, so.
0: Um, Supposedly, they remade this particular episode in the 80s reboot. Did you see that one? Because I haven't seen it. No,
2: I haven't seen the 80s reboot at all. Okay. Because I kind of avoided those. (laughs) I didn't really care for those. I was a diehard traditional Twilight Zone person,
0: Yeah, well, without Rod Sterling, it's really not worth it. (laughs) Not at all. It's not Twilight Zone. (laughs) No. Well, okay, so before we get into discussing the episode, let's go to our retro sponsor. Okay, this week's retro sponsor is Old Fashioned Divinity Candy. Yum. Yeah, I don't... I couldn't find a commercial for anything like that. I thought it was mass-produced, and it is, but it's more like in mom-and-pop shops.
2: Yeah, it's kind of an obscure candy, really.
0: I had asked Ken if he remembered anything in particular that he remembered eating around the holidays that he was really fond of, and he brought up his grandmother's divinity candy. So, why don't you tell us about that?
2: Oh, it was so good. They would come down every winter from Escanaba, Michigan, and stay for a few months Over the holidays And my grandmother would make divinity candy Okay, And so anyway um, She usually made it with pecans Which that's traditionally how it's made But I hated nuts and candy when I was a little kid (laughs) So she made it without No nuts for me And oh it was so good Yeah (laughs) Yeah. So that's what I remember about it
0: And I'd never had it before And um, I hadn't even really heard of it (laughs) So my mom actually Looked up a recipe and I was like Oh, I can do that. So a few days ago, I went out and got all the ingredients, got a candy thermometer. And it's not a very difficult candy to make. It's just messy because you're basically dealing with molten sugar. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
2: yeah. I mean, it's all sugar, really.
0: It's... How would you describe the texture?
2: The texture is like a soft sort of spongy... It has a, it's weird. It has such yeah. a, a texture all its own, Divinity does. Yeah. But it was so good.
0: Wow. Yeah.
2: You did a great job.
0: Oh, I'm glad. <laughs> um, I think Jody had the best um, description of it that I could think of since I'd never had anything to compare it to. And I guess the texture would be close to after dinner mints.
2: Yes. It, yeah. it has that kind of melty sort of in your mouth. But
0: it yeah. doesn't taste minty. No. It, it tastes like vanilla and sugar.
2: Vanilla and sugar. Yes. It's lovely.
0: Yeah, so hooray for Divinity Candy! Yay! (laughs) All right, with that being said, let's move on to The Night of the Meek. The Night of the Meek is from Season 2, and it is Episode 11. The original air date was December twenty third, 1960. It was directed by Jack Smite and written by Rod Serling himself which really isn't a surprising. This is very no. much in his wheelhouse. <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of the early episodes and the classic ones he wrote, you know, or at least co-wrote.
0: Yeah. I was um, curious about Jack Smite because it said that he had directed a few more episodes. Or did he? Yeah. Um, one of them was 22, which I remember... You remember that one?
2: I don't remember, but maybe if you describe it.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's the one about um, there's. It's this lady who's in a hospital, and she keeps having weird dreams about going down to the morgue. And basically, a nurse keeps telling her, "There's room for one more, honey."
2: I remember that episode. Yeah, yeah. 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 that was that was a creepy episode. Exactly.
0: Well, the, all the episodes he did were really creepy ones. So another one was um, something the lonely, um, and it was the astronaut that gets the robot lady.
2: Yes, Yeah, yes. he
0: directed that one, and there was one more, and I can't remember what it was. But he really seemed to like the creepy episodes. <laughs> okay, so the beginning of this episode, it opens on a department store, and we see this wonderful little children's wonderland. There's kids everywhere, and there's obviously where Santa is supposed to be sitting to greet the kids, and he's not there. This is where we meet... Mr. Dundee, who is probably the, just the manager of the department store, he's basically talking to a mother who's asking, Where's Santa? because Santa is late and nobody knows where he is.
2: <laughs> right. And he was in a bar. Yeah. 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 Himself very drunk.
0: Yeah. So that's where we go to in the next scene. We yeah. see a very dirty-looking Santa. Oh, he's got a really scruffy-looking dirty beard and a really cheap costume, and he's just sitting at this bar. It's really depressing looking. It's very
2: depressing looking. And, and the real appointment to that is the is the little kids are looking through the window at him, yeah. you know, wanting to come out. Yeah. And it just, when I watched it, it just really hit me. Yeah. That scene is just amazing, because here's your drunk Santa, and he's still being friendly and yeah. waving, but yeah.
0: Yeah, he loved the kids, like... He didn't tell them to go away. They have their faces pressed up against the glass. And even though he's bantering with the bartender, he's like, oh, look, there's kids. Wave, wave, wave.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and his his whole dialogue is about (laughs) dreaming about really being Santa in a
0: way. Yeah, exactly. And him and the bartender, Bruce, we find out his name, banter back and forth a little bit more. We learn that Santa's name is actually Corwin, Corwin. Mr. Corwin. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, this isn't the first time he's come to the bar to get shit faced. (laughs) Apparently, he does it a lot. He does. And he winds up spending the last of the money that he has on him on the sandwich that he sort of ate and more liquor.
2: Yeah, that was it. You know, he's just a real poor guy. And he only, I think he did say in the dialogue that he only works for being a Santa once a year or something like that. Yeah, he's pretty much homeless or whatever.
0: Yeah, it's really sad. But he has the heart of gold because he's Mm -hmm. basically he's not really commiserating because Bruce doesn't give a fuck. Like he does not, he's not having any of it. No. <laughs> he's just like, I don't care that there's kids. Just give me your money. Uh, Bruce gets a, a phone call and when his back is turned, Corwin tries to steal a bottle of whiskey and <laughs> Bruce again, is having none of it and basically says, get the hell out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because, get out. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And he's, Played wonderfully by, you know, Val Avery, who's the bartender, Bruce, um, who's a great character actor. I mean, he plays a lot of bad heavies later on in years. Oh, really? Yeah. And he's just, yeah, he's just really good at it.
0: Um, who is the actor who plays Mr. Dundee?
2: Mr. Dundee is played by John Fielder, or Fedler. Fedler, yeah. And he was also a great character actor. Um, he has he had a really distinct uh, voice. He did a lot of uh, voiceovers, too. And yeah, he was a lot of things. I was
0: going to say, I thought I recognized his voice because it sounded like Piglet.
2: Yeah. And he I think he did play Piglet. I don't know if he did or not. But, uh, you know, uh, he definitely was in a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah. yeah he's, he's got that kind of voice. And the guy that plays Mr. Corwin, like, uh, is yeah, he? Uh,
2: Mr. Corwin oh, is Art Carney.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> Honeymooners,
2: you know, he was, and of course he's a really great actor. And this is a, dr- a very dramatic role for him, really. Yeah.
0: It is really dramatic. it's really sad like it is. Oh my gosh. So Corwin uh, gets kicked out of the bar for trying to steal the bottle of whiskey. And he's stumbling through his bad neighborhood. It doesn't look that bad to me, but I guess that's the impression you're supposed to get. Uh, That's the
2: impression. Kind of a a lower end of the neighborhood, yes.
0: And there's some children outside, and they see him, and they get all excited, but he's like stumbling drunk, (laughs) which is tragic. But hey, you know, it's 1960, so whatever. And and the wonderful
2: thing is he's talking about, you know, throughout the whole thing, about how the spirit of Christmas is lost. Yeah. You know, and that... It's about love and compassion, and I mean, really, it's a very positive. It is aspect, and so the character of Art Carney, you know, that he's playing Mm -hmm. Santa, this Santa character, he's just mourning over the loss of of the world and how they look at Christmas.
0: Yeah, exactly, and this is so apparent in how much he feels for specifically the children and basically everybody around him because. He stumbles and falls in the snow, and he's just kind of sitting there, and the two kids that had seen him before and were very excited, they come up to him, and they immediately start begging him for toys. Right. And it's it's really heartbreaking because they're like, you know, I want a doll. The little boy says, I want a gun, which is a little disturbing. <laughs> but they're listing off childhood things. They're like, you know, I yeah. want a dollhouse. I want a soldier set. And then the little girl says, and a job for my daddy. <laughs> and then the little boy says... And a good dinner for Christmas.
2: Please, Santa. I want a carriage and a dolly. Please, I want a gun. And a playhouse. And a set of soldiers and a fort. Oh, please, Santa Claus. A job for my daddy. Please, a big turkey for a Christmas dinner. <laughs>
0: It is the saddest thing ever.
2: It is, and the way he's hugging them, and, and he's, he's starting crying. to crying, yeah. yeah. It was just amazing. <laughs> but, of course, when he mentioned the gun, the first thing I kind of flash back at is, is a Christmas story. You're going to yeah. poke your eye out yeah. with that, you know, so.
0: You will shoot your eye out! Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah shoot your eye out.
0: <laughs> yeah, and um, after this tragic scene, of course, in comes Rod Serling with his typical monologue
1: This is Mr. Henry Corwin, normally unemployed, who once a year takes the lead role in the uniquely popular American institution, that of the department store Santa Claus, in a road company version of the night before Christmas. But in just a moment, Mr. Henry Corwin, ersatz Santa Claus, will enter a strange kind of North Pole, which is one part the wondrous spirit of Christmas, and one part the magic that can only be found in the Twilight Zone.
0: Oh my goodness! Just classic. Just classic. (laughs) I mean, like the way that he's describing the scene is so cold.
2: (laughs) It's rock surling for you, you know. I mean, he
0: says. The magic of Christmas. And I do not believe for a second that he believes in magic. Not even a little bit. Even though he wrote this episode. Yes. Like, it's, yeah. Uh, it's very good and classic.
2: Yes. What, what, whatever you, whatever he does that, you know for sure that either the main character is going to be really in for it. Oh, yeah. Or he's going to have a very special moment.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mostly it's a bad thing. <laughs>
2: Most of the time, yes.
0: um. So after this wonderful monologue, we are back to the interior of the book department store, and Corwin is unfortunately stumbling in still drunk, and um, there's a kid playing with a train set or something. Yeah. Yeah. And he comes up and he's playing with it with the kid, and it's just this cute little moment where you can tell that he has a real connection to children, and he really cares for them. Yes. But he's interrupted by Mr. Dundee. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um... Dundee scolds him for being late and tells him to basically get to work now. Yep. Um,
2: and our coney stumbles up there, you know. I mean, he's definitely drunk. He gets at least up to his Santa seat.
0: Yeah, you know. yeah. And unfortunately, he meets um, some spoiled ass people. Is basically what happens yeah. next. <laughs> yeah, That little kid.
2: Little kid looks like he's about as excited going to Santa as you know watching water boil. You know, oh, he doesn't yeah. really want to go up there. And when he does, you know, it's just like, well, you know, what are you going to give me sort of thing or whatever. Yeah. It's a real attitude.
0: Yeah. It's, it's really bad. Um, Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, he, uh, Corwin loses his balance and falls off the pedestal. He
2: does. Yes.
0: (laughs) And it makes a really big scene. And the kid immediately realizes that Santa is drunk. And unfortunately, so does his mother. And his mother makes a huge scene about it.
2: She really does, and the kid is like really just this real brat. Mom, I think Santa's drunk. Yeah, you know, he even says, yeah.
0: What, Mom? Santa Claus is loaded. Oh, You've got some nerve. You ought to be ashamed. A, I am ashamed. And the the mom is having none of it, and she goes up to Mr. Dundee in the typical you know privileged white woman way, is like, you need to do something about this. I'm never shopping here again. <laughs> It's ridiculous. It is. It really is. I mean, he shouldn't have been drunk. That's that's for certain. Absolutely. But at the same time, like, oh my God, woman, get out,
2: <laughs> please,
0: <laughs> take your stupid kid and leave.
2: <laughs> so true. And of course, the you know Art Carney's character there, he's just so pitiful. I mean, he's yeah. just so sad. And then he goes in this wonderful speech. Yeah,
0: he does. Uh,
2: you know, to uh, to the you know store manager there, you know. And Mr. Dundee, yeah, about Christmas and how he feels, and I, I love Mr. Dundee just continues saying, Keep your voice down,
0: yeah, like yeah. he's
2: embarrassed about what he's saying. I mean, he's saying some wonderful stuff here, exactly. even though he's intoxicated,
0: and he's he is legitimately explaining why he is the way he is. And again, it's very tragic because the character is very tragic. And one of the most, I guess, effective lines at least that got to me was, I can either drink. Or I can weep. Exactly. And drinking is a lot more subtle.
2: That was the most impactful as well. It was just like me. me, Oh my God. You know. This
0: poor man.
2: Thank you very much, Mr. Dundee.
3: As to my drinking, this is indefensible. And you have my abject apologies. I find of late that I have very little choice in the matter of expressing emotions. I can either drink or I can weep. And drinking is so much more subtle.
0: He, he he also explains that he was going to tell the mother, you know, Christmas isn't about shopping and getting all the things and it's, it's becoming too commercial. It's, yes. you know, this is before that was a big movement in America where people were like, you know, get back to the spirit of Christmas. Here's this guy. This is 1960 when this is being filmed and he's saying this. So I mean, it it's really meaningful.
2: Oh yeah, I mean that's an incredible thing, and that's what really got to me. I I didn't realize after I watched this episode again,
0: yeah,
2: how ahead of its time it really was. And Rod Serling yeah. was like out these Twilight Zones. Yeah, he would be very you know a lot of moral and ethical and, and and issues that he'd bring up that was just like way ahead of
0: their time. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but Mister Dundee doesn't really want to listen to Corwin, um, and at the end of his speech. Corwin winds up saying, you know, if I had one wish, it would be that the meek inherit the earth.
3: I just wish Mr. Dundee on one Christmas, only one, that I could see some of the hopeless ones and the dreamless ones. Just on one Christmas, I'd like to see the meek inherit the earth.
0: No one cares.
3: <laughs> no one, yeah. No one
0: cares. No one cares. It's very sad. They don't
2: care. Yeah. I think
0: actually the kids kind of care because they sort of follow him out of the store. They
2: do and look at him along like I thought, you know, at first it was, I'm mean, going to see an elf in there
0: or something, yeah, you know what I mean? Because
2: yeah. it was just, they really understood him, it seems yeah. like, you know, at least from their appearance. None of the
0: adults did. No. About that. No, no. <laughs> um, so then we see Corwin outside of the store again. Um. He uh, is just walking down the street back in his Skid Row neighborhood, basically. He walks by the bar. Um, he obviously wants to go get another drink because he's, again, very, very sad.
2: Yeah. And there's um, a funny scene in there because you've got, you know, uh, uh, two couples that are in there in the yeah. bar and the bartender, and they're drinking and getting drunk. Mm-hmm. And they say, you know, go away. You know, he's looking in the window, yeah. you know, Art uh, Carney's character. And just like, you know, no, 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 get, you know, go away. And they, they say, you know, Merry Christmas to them. They're drunk like crazy. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I do Like,
0: they're so drunk. So, yeah. Well, they can forget their pain, but he's stuck with his, unfortunately. Yes, he is. Um, and then when he's walking around, he seems really forlorn, and he starts hearing sleigh bells. Um, he hears jingling bells a few times, and he winds up wandering into an alley, and the bells get louder, and he doesn't really see anything, and then all of a sudden a cat screeches <laughs> yes. and jumps down from this bag that was kind of precariously positioned just up on a, I don't know, a windowsill? A windowsill? It, it looked
2: like maybe a pile of garbage, like trash cans and then boxes yeah. or something on top of that, Yeah.
0: Yeah, but this cat knocks over this big old burlap sack, falls to the ground, and a bunch of cl- uh, cans clatter out. And he just looks down, and he's like, okay, and he just walks away. But then he hears the sleigh bells again. He turns around and all the cans that had spilled out are suddenly wrapped presents.
2: Yes, toys. Yeah.
0: yeah. And he doesn't even take a second to think about it. He starts scooping them up back into the sack and he's so excited.
3: <laughs> and
0: you, can, it's just beautiful to see how, how happy this makes him because he's like, oh, finally, finally. Finally, I can do something about this. Yes. So he picks up the sack and he starts yelling, Merry Christmas! Yeah, he's just so
2: excited. He's more excited than Scrooge is at yeah. the end of Scrooge or whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah,
0: and he goes and he runs out into the street and he's yelling, Merry Christmas and to everyone.
2: <laughs>
0: um, so then we go to the interior of... Is it a shelter or is it looks it halfway like a halfway house? Yeah, it
2: looks like a shelter run uh, by Sister Florence.
0: Yes. Yes. And uh, she's... Horribly screaming Christmas carols at the top of her lungs while playing an organ. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) To a bunch of other men that are in the shelter with her. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing that they're all also homeless, probably. Homeless,
2: drunks, yeah. All that. She's she's kind of preaching to them, you know, with the hymns and the Christmas music. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then in through the door walks a man and he starts saying, he's whispering to everybody one by one. And you see them like looking towards the door and they're kind of making a scene. And Florence gets pissy and she stops playing. She's like, what are you going on about? (laughs) She's (laughs) very offended.
2: Exactly. And both these parts, uh, again, played by classic character actors. Yeah. Uh, And, uh, you know, uh, of course, Sister Florence is played by Meg Wiley
0: okay
2: um for Star Trek fans out there um she was seen in the uh, the cage and she was the main big-headed <laughs> uh you know alien there uh, so she's well known in the Star Trek circles and then of course uh, uh Bert the old man that comes in is is by uh, Bert M- uh mustin I think that's how you say his last name and he's just oh He's been all over the yeah. television series for his a character actor. And there's really famous character actors in this thing. So it's, it's wonderful to see them.
0: Yeah. yeah. So Bert is saying, uh, he basically tells Sister Florence, hey, uh, there's Santa Claus and he's coming down the street and he's giving everybody anything they want. And right when Florence is about to say something about that, of course, in through the doors walks Corwin with his bag of gifts. And he starts asking everybody one by one, what do you want? So... Uh, like Bert winds up asking for a pipe and Corwin just automatically pulls the pipe out and he's like, here you go. Yeah. Like it literally is a bag full of whatever you want. He like, he winds up handing out a sweater and a smoking jacket and he winds up giving a cane to a guy who didn't even ask. Corwin just reached into the bag and just handed it to the man and it's exactly what he wanted.
2: Exactly. And and the interesting thing is you hear some of these These guys say, well, give me a bottle or something. He doesn't give them boots. He gives them things that they really need. Yeah,
0: like socks and hats and things that that they probably truly want. Um, And then Sister Florence starts getting suspicious. (laughs) She's (laughs) like, hey, where'd you get all this stuff? And Corwin's like, well, I'm not even going to pretend that I understand, but I have this magic bag here that's letting me be Santa Claus, and as long as it's providing, I'm giving. Sister Florence, don't ask me to explain. I'm just as much in the
3: dark as anybody else. All I know is I've got a Santa Claus bag here that gives everybody
0: exactly what they want for Christmas. And as long as it's putting out, I'm putting in.
2: (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah. uh,
0: and then he asks her if she wants a new dress and she's super offended by that for whatever reason. Uh, Yeah,
2: I don't know. Well, she's real, you know, she's the typical, like, uh, what you see in the Old West, the real spinster sort of, you know, Bible... You know, yeah. Christian sort of, so she says, how, how awful is that? Yeah. You know, and you and just she just in. runs out. Yeah, she just runs out.
0: And she comes back with the police officer. And this is where we meet um, Officer Flaherty.
2: Officer, officer Flaherty. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, so uh, Flaherty comes in and sees that Corwin is handing out stuff. And he's like, so where's the receipt for all that stuff? And Corwin's like, I don't have a receipt. Why would I have a receipt? Like, you think it's the dumbest question ever. And Flaherty's like, okay, I see how it is. You're coming with me. But he's not being aggressive towards him. No,
2: no, he's not. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like, he obviously sees him pulling stuff out of the bag and handing it to people. But he's also like, okay, this is unfortunate. I think he knows Corwin.
2: Yeah, I think so. Probably (laughs) because he's a regular around the neighborhood, maybe, you know. And he's just like, okay, Corwin, come on. Yeah. type of thing.
0: Um, so Flaherty takes him down to the police station and Corwin just follows him like he's not like he 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 hasn't done anything wrong, so he's not acting like he's done anything wrong.
2: No, and he's so polite because yeah. when even when they go into the police station he says, Well you first, please, you yeah, know, he yeah. says to him. It's pretty funny and...
0: <laughs> He's very, very nice. Yeah. Um, but as soon as they get in there, Flaherty winds up contacting Mr. Dundee because I think they assume that Corwin stole all the stuff from the department store. Right, exactly. And Dundee shows up and he's like, I knew that you were no good, Corwin. Basically, like, you were only meant to disappoint me. (laughs) He's such a jerk.
2: He he really is.
0: Oh, my gosh. Um, And he obviously wants to press charges, but Flaherty's trying to let him explain himself. And they're talking about the bag itself. And um, Mr. Dundee's like, well, let's just see what's in here. And you see him, like, he pulls open the bag. And I thought this was really funny because I noticed this when he starts, he first holds it open. You, I could see something like moving around in there. Yeah. And I was like, what the hell? And he's just blindly pulling out cans. Like he's not pulling out presents. And Flaherty's looking at the cans like, this isn't what Corum was pulling out. Like, yeah. And the
2: cat comes out of yeah. them, the bag. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and then Dundee pulls out this cat. Yeah. They're like, how long was that cat in that bag? <laughs> <laughs>
2: But it was, and this is one of my favorite moments in the episode because it, it really has it really shows that magic <laughs> yeah. to that bag. I says this must be the greatest magical bag of holding for D and D freaks out there that there is, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and when they uh, realize that this is just a bag of garbage, <laughs> Dundee gets really mad at Flaherty, and he's like, "You're an idiot! <laughs> How can you?" Confuse a bag of goods with a bag of garbage. You right. just wasted all my time. I don't give a crap what happens to Corwin. <laughs> and Flaherty's like, no, I think Corwin has something here. I think this is like some sort of magical bag. Like it, <laughs> it. I swear to you, I saw him pulling things out and giving to them to, them to people. And Dundee's like, oh well, if it's a magic bag, let's just test it. Okay, Corwin, I want this, you know, vintage cherry brandy from 1903. Go ahead, give it to me. The Dundee.
1: Believe me, it's like Corwin says, we're dealing with the supernatural here. In other words, all we have to do is to ask Mr. Corwin to make a little abracadabra for us, and no sooner said done, well, go ahead, Corwin. I fancy a a bottle of cherry brandy, vintage
3: 1903. Oh, that's a good year. And...
1: You, Officer Flaherty, how dare you drag me down here at the busiest time of the year to look at a
0: bag full of look, garbage look, that was found by Dundee. Se-
3: Pardon me, gentlemen. Merry Christmas to
0: both of you. And Corwin's like, ooh, that's a good year. And he reaches into the bag and pulls out a bottle of brandy with yep. a pretty little ribbon on it.
2: It's just—it's a classic <laughs> moment, and then you know, and and of course, uh, Mr. Dundee's surprised look on his face, like what? Yeah, you know, and then
0: Corwin just walks out of the room with the bag. You yeah, you know, they just—they're so stunned, they just let him walk out.
2: And and then the cop just—he's going—he's going, I know, I saw. <laughs> yeah. Presents yeah. out of that bag,
0: and even on the bottle, there's a little tag that says "To Mr. Dundee from Santa." It's very
2: personalized. It's like,
0: yeah, and I think Dundee is so shocked that he just sits down and uncorks the bottle, and the cop hands him a glass. He's like, "Here, you need this," <laughs> yeah. and they just sit there drinking together.
2: And this is this is in the episode, really the classic, one of the classic Twilight Zone moments. Yeah, you know, it's very typical.
0: Yeah, it's it's great to see because yeah. Corwin is. Completely justified, and it's beautiful. <laughs> it is wonderful.
2: And, of course, he goes around and continues to deliver all these gifts.
0: Yeah, you see him um, giving presents to kids. The kids are asking for very specific things, and he gives them to them. Yeah. And he's, again, super happy about it. But you can hear in the background um, the bells tolling, signaling that it's midnight. And all of a sudden, the bag is empty. But Corwin is given out all the gifts that he's going to be able to anyway. Yeah. And... He actually has this really satisfied look on his face. He does. And he goes to sit on the stoop of the shelter. And when he's sitting there, his friend Bert comes out. Right. And um, they're sitting there chatting for a little bit. And Bert basically says, oh, you, you didn't get anything? And Corwin just says, you know, I think I probably got the best gift in the history of Christmas ever. Right. I got to be the giver of presents, the giver of gifts myself and if I had one wish, it would be to do this every year.
2: Definitely an awe moment.
0: Yeah.
2: Nothing for you, nothing
3: for yourself, not a thing. You know, I, I can't think of anything I want. I guess what I really wanted is to be the biggest gift giver of all times. And in a way, I think I had that tonight. Although, if I had my choice of any gift any gift at all, I think I'd wish I could do this every year
0: yeah it's yeah. he's so humble and so sweet, yeah, um, and Bert just looks really happy for him
2: and the and the great moral to that story is when he said, when he does that is that you know it really is more about the giving mm-hmm. and the service to others, yeah. Than it is about anything else, Christmas and year-round, for that matter.
0: Yeah. So,
2: it's, it's a great, great moral
0: story. It's precious. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Um, so, he's still very happy, and he gets up and he's walking, off, walking around again, and I think he hears sleigh bells again?
2: I, I think so, yes, yeah. he does. And, and he and, goes
0: back to that same alley.
2: And then sees the sleigh.
0: Yeah. 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 So, instead of finding a burlap sack, this time he finds a sleigh with actual reindeer. And he's just kind of like, huh? And he, he like goes up and touches the reindeer to make it make sure that it's real. And then all of a sudden, you hear a creepy little giggle. We've been waiting for you, Santa Claus.
2: That is one creepy elf.
0: Yeah, that elf is terrifying. <laughs> it
2: is. I mean, if anything this episode's going to scare you, it's going to be that little elf.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, this elf just pops up from behind some crates or something and she's like, hee, 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 we've been waiting for you, Santa. <laughs> like, okay, chill. <laughs> yeah.
2: I don't know if I'd go with that elf or not <laughs> at that point.
0: But Corwin is, I think he's speechless. He's just like, am I seeing what I think I'm seeing? And the elf's just like, Come on, Santa, we've been waiting for you. We have a lot of work to do.
2: Yeah, the little elf brushes <laughs> off the snow off the seat and yeah. pats the seat and says, Come on, come yeah, on, let's
0: know. go. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then Corwin just gets this big ol' smile on his face and off they go. With like, the creepy elf. <laughs> with the creepy elf. <laughs> um I'm actually really impressed that they got real reindeer. It looks like. Well, they
2: did actually. They got. I was. I was reading something about that. They actually got the real reindeer furnished by Santa's Village in Skyforce, California. Yeah, so, that's
0: amazing. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Because he actually got them to mush too. Like he got them to trot off and pull the actual sleigh. <laughs> he did. Yeah. That was that was pretty impressive. It was. Yes. <laughs> so obviously, Corwin's dream has come true. He's been granted his wish, and. Now we come to the end of the episode, and we see Dundee and Day leaving the police station together. Right. Dundee is very drunk. He is really drunk, <laughs> He yes. is super drunk. <laughs> and they're both just laughing and carrying on, and then they hear sleigh bells themselves, and they look up, and they don't show it, but you see them looking up into the sky, and they're both just kind of squinting, and they both have a no look on their yeah. face, like, and they just kind of look to each other, and they're like, "Did I see what I think I saw?"
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a really good illusion. The actors are really good about you know simulating that illusion of seeing Santa flying across yeah. the sky. Because of course they didn't have the budget you know, yeah. to, to oh, actually no. show that or the <laughs> technique. But they spent
0: it on the reindeer. They did. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: probably the most expensive actors.
0: <laughs> but yeah, they're um, they're sitting there, and Flaherty's like, "Well, I'm uh, pretty sure that was Corwin." in a sleigh, with reindeer and an elf next to him. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that elf looks a little demented when I say that, no, no. but no, no, but.
0: <laughs> and uh, Dundee's like, okay, well, why don't you come back with me to my house? We'll have some black coffee, and we'll pour more brandy into it. <laughs> and thank God for miracles. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and the cop forgets he's on duty, says, definitely, I'm going to do this. Yeah. You know, he's going right with him, which is pretty funny. <laughs> it's uh.
0: fantastic. And then uh, we of course get a wonderful closing speech by Rod Serling.
2: Of course, and there's an interesting thing about that closing speech mm-hmm. that I found out. Uh, you know, when they when they first aired it, the original air, which was in 1960, December 23rd, ended with the words after the speech and a Merry Christmas to each and all. Mm-hmm. Now, when and that phase, it was deleted in the 1980s when mm-hmm. they when they re released it into uh, reruns. Yeah, and because uh, I guess it wasn't politically correct at that time. <laughs> So they took it out of there. But if you get the Twilight Zone Definitive Edition yeah. that has that episode on there, then they added it in there. But they say that I've never heard that. Yeah. But when they do say it, you can clearly hear that it's been like re-edited in yeah. or cut in because it's just a different tonal quality or whatever. But anyway, it's kind of an interesting little side note to Yeah. That. A
1: word to the wise, to all the children of the 20th century, whether their concern be pediatrics or geriatrics, whether they crawl on hands and knees and wear diapers, or walk with a cane and comb their beards. There's a wondrous magic to Christmas, and there's a special power reserved for little people. In short, there's nothing mightier than the meek. And a Merry Christmas to
2: each and all. Yeah. So yeah, that was the Night of the
0: Meek.
2: Night of the Meek. Yeah, and it's a really it's a rare episode because yeah. it's it's one of those rarities that sh- that they really only played around the holidays. Yeah, you know, even in reruns, um, so you don't you don't see it in the regular syndication of things. Mm-hmm. But very very
0: cool. Yeah, and um, it's a little different from a typical Twilight Zone episode. I mean, it's still supernatural. Yes, obviously because this guy finds Santa's bag of holding, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not dark except. No. For the reality of everything. That's the darkest part, is what's actually real, which is kind of weird to think about. <laughs> it is.
2: Well, you know, and that's the classic of how Rod Sterling would twist, make these Twilight Zones so realistic, to use a, use that word, is that because he did hint on things that were actually going on. Yeah. And so, yeah, the scariest thing becomes the real people, yeah. not the monsters and things like that, or the other things that go bump in the night, really. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Good episode.
0: It's very sweet, and it's definitely a better telling of any other turn-into-Santa-Claus trope. Yes. (laughs) Because, I mean, if you're going to watch something about somebody becoming Santa Claus, watch this. Not the Santa Claus, (laughs) because that involves murder. Yeah, that really does. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Murdered Santa. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, it's it's, a good one. Definitely a good one. Okay. All right.
0: (laughs) Thank you for listening to the holiday special of Are You a Fan of the Dark? Hopefully we'll be back on our regular recording schedule in 2019, but in case we aren't, we'll see you next time. Feel free to email us at areyouafanofthedark at hotmail.com. Are you a fan of the dark is all one word. You can also visit us at Are you a fan of the dark Pod on Facebook, and we also have our Midnight Society Fan Club, where you can submit your own memories, or even just comments about Are You Afraid of the Dark? And you can visit our show notes at midnightsocietyfan.club.